What's up? This is Ben from All Shall Parish, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hey, this is Chris Broderick of Megadeth, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Ladies and gentlemen, with me now, Aaron is joining me. We're going to have a special uh, discussion on the recap of Mayhem 2011, as it was. How you doing, Aaron? Hey, great, John. Cool. Thanks for uh, getting on the line with me. This is a first, actually, uh, two hosts in one show, so we're getting uh, double the money today. Um, we had the opportunity, uh, kind of came up on us relatively quick, to attend and cover Mayhem 2011 and... Uh, we certainly jumped on that as best we could, uh, headed out to the first Niagara Pavilion in Burgettstown back in late July, and uh, kind of got the day started off with a bang right out of the shoot. The very first thing we did was sit down with Chris Broderick. Um, Aaron, your thoughts on Chris Broderick? Well, I tell you, it was, um, it was fun to meet him in person because he was such a nice personable guy like really really friendly you know we got to see him do a couple interviews before ours and just really a, a skilled and schooled musician like some of the things that, that you guys will talk about that we'll hear in the interview it was just blowing me away to hear his approach to things and you know really really impresses me you know as, as, as a player yeah i i agree too and it was it was cool um as you'll hear in the interview as Aaron alluded to there he talks a little bit about choices of scales and things like that uh chris got his if i if i got the chronology wrong i apologize but i believe he got his professional break uh with a band called jag panzer which is is probably a lesser known band uh, and then he became a touring guitarist with uh nevermore which is uh i don't want to call it power metal but you know kind of a that band a band that i absolutely love nevermore uh and then you know dave mustaine came calling so uh, actually, if I remember the story correctly, Dave Mustaine came calling for Jeff Loomis, the uh, at the time the permanent guitarist of Nevermore. He has since left the band as well. Uh, Jeff turned him down uh, because of what was going on with Nevermore. They were really starting to make progress and tapped Chris Broderick. So uh, it's really cool uh, to sit down. I have to admit, frankly, it was very intimidating. Uh, we were very rushed to get there in time to meet with him. It was about, what, 90 degrees that day? Oh, my goodness, yeah. Yeah, so I am literally, as I'm interviewing him, sweating my brains out just from the hustle to get, as those are familiar with, uh, the Star Lake. I'm sorry, showing my age. First Niagara Pavilion. Uh, I parked on the very outermost lot and had, like, 15 minutes to get the whole way over to beside the stage, which involved going through Will Call, which is unfortunately on the far side of the venue. Uh, so it was quite a uh, hurried pace to get there, sat down with him, and I'm sweating like a pig. And then you're sitting down there with a the guitarist of Megadeth. So it was uh, intimidating. That was the first, uh, if, yeah, I'm if, thinking to myself, that is the first face-to-face interview I've ever done. Um so here's a guy with, you know, a ton of touring experience and me. So without further ado, we'll get into that interview. Folks, we're here at the Mayhem Festival 2011 with Chris Broderick from Megadeth. How you doing, Chris? Good. I'm doing really well. Great. How's the tour going so far? It's going awesome. It's uh, it's been a whirlwind uh, experience because uh, not only did we come into the Mayhem tour, but we came right off the hills of uh, five big four shows, mm-hmm. and we actually did our last big four show in France, and okay. then we drove four hours to Frankfurt, flew from Frankfurt to uh, San. Uh, San Francisco okay. to make a show the next day. So it's just been, I mean, it, it's almost when you get moving on a roll like that, that the, the days roll into each other yeah. so quickly, you know? Yeah, it, it's almost, I would say, 
it's almost been like that since you joined Megadeth. It seems like you guys have really, very little. You know, you're with Slayer, you're doing the Big Four. You guys did the Rust and Peace shows. Yeah, it definitely picked up the last couple of years. That's for yeah. Sure. How was the Big Four experience? I mean, coming in as you know, I don't want to say new guy in the band. But... Unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's it, it sounds like the cliche answer, but it's mm-hmm. the uh, it's the truthful answer. Yeah. You know, it's it's uh, a dream realized in a way to see that many fans uh, going to see you perform. Mm-hmm. Now, when you're up on that stage, do you try to pick out somebody in the audience you watch, or you just kind of look at it as a blur? Yeah, I do, I, I do a little bit of both. You know, with larger audiences, I, I typically will look towards the back of the crowd sometimes just to see what the general audience is doing, right. whether there's pits forming or anything like that, whether they're singing yeah. along or the fists are in the air. But definitely towards the front of the crowd, I definitely pick out individuals that are really into it yeah. and uh, try and just uh, kind of make it... Uh, as if I'm almost part of the audience rocking sure. out with them. You know? Is the energy of the Mayhem Festival kind of different? I mean, a different kind of crowd than maybe the uh, Big Four or yeah, the I Slayer think shows? It's a, it's a different crowd. I think it's, um, you know, in a way, I think it's a little less of uh, Megadeth's typical crowd, mm-hmm. but that's exactly what we were gunning for, I yeah. think. Because, you know, you want, you, you want to try and expose yourself to people who may not have heard you so much. So that's one thing that I think very good about this tour. It brings so many different types of bands together to right. do that. Now, speaking of different types of music, you have um, had quite a bit of classical and jazz training in your career. Do you want to talk about how that applies to Megadeth or how you kind of bring all that together and blend it into your playing? Yeah, well, I mean, music theory itself is applicable across any genre of music. Um, it's just utilized, I think, a little bit less in, in metal. You know, people mm-hmm. will use their ear a lot more and, and sure. um, you know, go with that kind of uh, mm-hmm. Songwriting process for me, you know, it's just taking the information I know and applying it to those things that sure. may already be written or to write myself. So, now is it was it a big difference? I mean, obviously, uh, Dave's uh, guitar chops are somewhat legendary, but you came from a similar situation with Jeff Loomis. Mm-hmm. Um, can you contrast how, how you kind of interweave what you do with two of those players? Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, it's it's a lot of the same thing. It's it's bringing in my own my own style, but trying to to make it fit within the, the style of the band. So, you know, with Megadeth, I, I definitely, you know, in my I'll pull out some theory now, but uh, sure. you know, I, I I would run to the pentatonic with the flat five a lot more often, mm-hmm. and, and uh, you know, a C major sharp eleven uh, scale or arpeggio. And, and just utilize those things that have a tip, more typical Megadeth type of sound. Sure. You know? Yeah. Now, um, speaking of, the, you know, we get a little into the guitar. You recently uh, partnered up with Jackson yep. to do... Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about the soloist? Is there going to be like a production signature model? Yes, there is. There is. Right now, they're um, doing their. Um, they're they're uh, working on a bunch of the uh, USA customs okay. of my my uh, signature soloist. But then, uh, probably next year, hopefully by the NAM show, they will have a uh, uh, like a mid-range uh, okay. Japanese version of the soloist. Okay. And then maybe a year after that, we might even go down to the next level so that anybody can afford one at a level and. You know, the main thing I'm going to try and not compromise so much is the quality, but maybe the little bells and whistles sure. that you would get with it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, but it's an awesome guitar. Now, will they be doing a six and a seven string run, or are you? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Are you still playing primarily seven strings live? No, live I'm playing six strings okay. with Megadeth. Okay. Um, but, you know, on my own time, I always play seven strings. Okay. It's, it's kind of like where my hand feels at home. Yeah. I guess you get used to that. It's kind of like uh, missing a limb. Yeah. Um, the uh, album 13, is it completely in the bag now, or do you guys have uh, work to do on it when, when you get off the road? No, I, I'm under, of the understanding it's completely finished. Okay. Uh, we're working on the final mixes now and then just adding little touches on top okay. to make sure that it, you know, it... it uh, sounds as good as it can. Okay. And you want to talk a little? Uh, what for people who knew Endgame? How was this album maybe different or the similar? I think it's going to be. You know, it's going to have touches of Endgame in it. But for me, I've likened it to almost like a, a Megadeth timeline okay. CD because you're going to get references all the way back to Pain is My Business okay. to uh, Countdown to Extinction to Endgame like that. So. So there's going to be different types of songs on there for, for everybody you know, awesome. who likes the different uh, styles of Megadeth. Awesome. Okay. We are back. Uh, 
Next up in our day at the Mayhem Festival, we went from uh, talking to Mr. Broderick of Megadeth to, uh, I'll be honest, I don't remember which of the two stages, and for those of you not familiar with the Mayhem Festival, as I wasn't, I don't think Aaron, you had been to one of these type of things, they put the stages, the, the secondary stages, in the parking lot with buses and chain link fence to kind of separate the parking lot from the actual venue. Uh, and we saw Kingdom of Sorrow. Uh, you had not, Aaron, heard of Kingdom of Sorrow, correct? No, it was my first time ever seeing them. Yeah, it was my first time not only seeing them, but hearing of them. I had no idea who this band was. Um, shame on us for uh, metal credibility, but uh, we were pretty green. We just knew we had the ability to go down in front of the pit. For those not familiar with how that's laid out, uh, there is the audience, and then there's a metal barricade, which is kind of a T upside down T shaped piece of iron, uh, and then there are the the men in yellow uh, to crowd control. We were between the guys in the yellow and the stage, uh, which is Pretty tight quarters. Um, kind of gave you that foxhole kind of feeling. Um, and your thoughts of being in that as the band came on the stage? Well, I loved it. I mean, I used to pit back in the day before my before my car accident. So it was kind of fun to be that close to the action again. And I want to um, take a moment now and say hats off to the men in yellow because they did a great job of keeping the audience safe keeping you and I safe and the other <laughs> photographers who were in the pit, you know? <clears throat> yeah. Um, they, they were absolutely amazing, but it, it was fun. Like, I, and it's funny, like I forgot what shows like that are like until the first body came across the barricade and I'm like, Oh yeah. You know, it was, it was exciting for me. I loved it. Yeah. As a guy who grew up as a huge fan of hair metal as I did, crowd surfing, not as such a big thing. So for me, this was a, a totally unique experience. Um, you know, I had been in actually the front row of a show before in my life, but it was John Cougar Mellencamp. So, you know, you might get a beach ball coming in the air, but that's about it. And uh, they came out on stage, and again, we neither one of us knew who they were, but I'm looking on stage as they're kind of getting ready to come on, and I'm like, I, this bald guy with the goatee, he looks really familiar. And it, as Kingdom of Sorrow fans would probably know, it was Kirk Weinstein of Crowbar, which I was familiar with Crowbar, by name, and, and I've heard some of their material. I'm not a big uh, uh, fan of that kind of music myself, but I recognize this guy, and I know he's kind of an icon in that regard. And then Jamie Josta came out on stage, and is another one of these guys where I'm like, uh, I know this guy's face, um, singer of Hatebreed. So uh, as you can imagine, this is kind of a, I don't know what you'd even call it, sort of a super group, I guess. Yeah. And... Uh, I'd say they, they they were much better than I would have expected, um, even though I had very low expectations. Um, but as Aaron said, and I will echo that as well, a huge hats off to the guys in yellow. Um, and I know as fans, you know, usually you're thinking, oh, those are the big jerks in the front that are trying to spoil our fun. But uh, as the bodies came over that barricade and you figure you're eight, nine feet in the air, um, they brought people down safely, got them down in that little area and got them out and, uh, you know, were very, uh, I don't want to say polite, uh, but, uh, you know, none of them seemed to lose their temper. Uh, yeah, not and, at all. You know, it's a, like a gazillion degrees in that area because you're there with the lights and the people and, uh, you know, the stress of it, but they did a great job. Uh, for me, trying to shoot pictures during the show was kind of fun because you've got bodies coming at the back of your head. Um and unfortunately, you don't really see them, you know, because they're much higher than you expect. Um, so it was, it was certainly an entertaining thing. Um, as far as a band, I, like I said, I, I give uh, hats off to uh, Jamie and uh, Kirk. Uh, Kingdom of Sorrow, you know, went over very, very well with the crowd. Um, it was a little bit of hard when we were down there to see how big the crowd was, but once our uh, filming. Uh, period of time was over. We kind of went out into the side, and there was a pretty huge uh, turnout. Considering it's the middle of the afternoon, it's ninety some degrees, and there was a nice crowd there. So, any other thoughts on them? Well, you know, they were just a lot of fun. Like, like it was, it was neat to see those guys. And I, I apologize, I already forgot the name of the guy who was um, in Crowbar. Kirk Weinstein. Yeah, Kirk. So, man, he was he was really fun to photograph and just watch play. Yeah. 
Yeah, he seemed like a, a pretty uh, down to earth guy. And um, later on in the evening, I know where you were um, on the way out. We stopped by. There was a, um, a oh, merch, dime bag booth. Yeah, there was a merch booth set up for selling gear for the Ride for Dime, which is a charity event held, in, I believe, somewhere in Texas, uh, coming up later this summer. And Kirk was there, just literally just hanging out, uh, shaking hands, taking pictures with people, you know, and there wasn't a huge mob around it, but he was extremely cordial with people, so uh, big uh, thumbs up to Kirk uh, for that. Why don't we play a little uh, Kingdom of Sorrow? And then next up in our day, John and I got to go see uh, Suicide Silence, which is on the revolver stage, the opposite side of the uh, parking lot. And um, I got to say, man, for me, these guys were a really, really pleasant surprise. Like, I had done some reading about them um, before the show, and they, they it sounded like they started out as a side project, but then mm-hmm. took off more than their other bands. So then they, you know, became Suicide Silence and became their main band. But intense is like the the word that always comes to mind when I think about their stuff because geez was they were they intense what do you think John yeah it was kind of a fever pitch I mean it wasn't speed necessarily I don't I don't even know how to describe the intensity to it I I I, I think I'll steal a line from I believe it was um, Century Media's podcast which is a monthly podcast available on iTunes you just search for Century Media they referred to Suicide Silence as the most violent band on the planet and and I can see where that. I mean, I don't necessarily. They weren't guar. They weren't Slipknot. But there was a lot of anger in their music. 
Um, I had no idea what to expect. I had done no research on them whatsoever. Um, and to give you an idea of where we were, again, we were still in the uh, uh, photo pit area, which is, again, between the stage, uh, kind of like right up against the other side of the monitor. And uh, the guitarist on my side, when he came out, uh, Literally, he had, like, dumped water on his head right before he came out on stage, and then he started, like, banging his head, and I'm getting sprayed in the face with the water off his head. <laughs> um, the singer, though, cracked me up, though, and I, I this, this caught me as odd. He's out there in these, like, skinny kind of emo jeans, and he's got tattoos all over himself, but he's wearing, like, deer foam slippers on stage. And I don't know if people can kind of experience that, because he's got kind of this little box he stood on with, like, a metal grate, but he's wearing slippers, you know? <laughs> Which always uh, kind of cracks me up what people wear when they're on stage. You know, you see them in photo shoots and they'll be wearing like really cool stuff when they're stage. They go for the anti-slip stuff. <laughs> so it was a uh, it was a good show. I mean, the, the singer to me, I almost kind of heard and I can I'm not a, really very good at putting metal into boxes, um, grindcore, metalcore, whatever the hell core. Uh, but to me, his voice to me almost sounded a lot of like what you heard of a Norwegian black metal band. Uh, he had more of a, uh, a higher pitch scream to it than the guttural kind of scream, you know. So I think they call themselves, what, deathcore, if, I, if uh, I'm not mistaken? It doesn't matter. If it has the word <laughs> core in it, it you know, it's, I, I, I try to look at each band as an individual band. I mean, it's, you can call it what you want. I Grindcore, Stonecore, whatever the hell, Core. Um, there was some angry Core, I'll say that. <laughs> but, um, you yeah, know, not, not a bad band, and I tell you what, the crowd loved them. Yeah. You know, I don't know if it, what your impression was, but in that area between the crowd and the band, you can really feel, and this might sound corny, but you can feel energy coming yeah. from that. Yeah. And the energy when you know, the singer got up on the stage and is like waving at the fans to start surfing. It was just like, holy shit, here it comes. And it did. It was just like a tidal wave of people coming over the, uh, the barricades. So it was, it was a very interesting experience, you know. So, not a bad gig. So what did we do after that? We well, have... after that, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, please. I said, well, after that, I believe we headed back to the press tent, and that's when we talked to Red Fang, right? Red Fang, yes. Uh, his name was, uh, was it Adam? I believe. Yeah, it was Aaron, actually. Aaron, I'm sorry. I don't know how I could forget that. Aaron. <laughs> Aaron Beam, yes, that's, uh, of Red Fang. Now, Red Fang, that's a totally different direction musically, and that's one of the, the cool things about these festivals, and I know on Facebook a, a couple people kind of moaning about the fact that this was all deathcore whatever it wasn't i mean there was there were bands i don't i don't know that anybody was going to walk in that venue and say i love every band on this uh, on this bill i don't know that there's you know that that's necessarily realistic because a band like red fang is to me a complete departure from suicide silence um your thoughts on red fang musically i tell you what man i really like those guys because um and, and I said this during the interview that I did, the video interview we got up on ironcityrocks.com. Um, they reminded me of, like, Clutch meets Black Sabbath. Because mm-hmm. like, they've, they've kind of got that slow, heavy groove, but okay. just this, the sound is so darn smooth. Like, just just the, the guitar work is smooth, and then they have that deep, dark, like, and when I say dark, I don't mean like a death dark, but just like... Like um, think, think like like a nice black and tan kind of beer, like that, <laughs> that dark amber sounding kind of voice voice tone to it. Yeah, ironically, when I think of them now, I will never think of anything other than Paps beer. Do <laughs> <laughs> you want to talk a little bit about the videos? I know you you guys kind of touched on it in the interview, but uh, the uh, the videos that you watched. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, so these guys crack me up. Because um, and for for anyone who's listening who's seen the movie Role Models, I thought of the movie Role Models, the the ending battle scene where the um the guys in that movie dressed up like Kiss because they have a couple videos. I can't remember the name of the one, but the other one was Prehistoric Dog. Now in both videos, there's beer cans everywhere because then we found out apparently they have a sponsorship with Paps Beer. Um, so they've got beer cans absolutely everywhere through this 
for these videos, but in the prehistoric GOG video, it, they have like um like these the the live action role play, so the LARPers and you know, and that's that's where like you dress up kind of like medieval times and you reenact battles. And no offense to anyone out there who likes that, because I, I think it's cool. I haven't got a chance to do it yet myself, but I don't know all the terminology. But um, <clears throat> so they dress up in these videos, and they go find these guys who are doing the larping. They dress up in beer can armor, so like they take all their paps beer cans, make armor out of it, and then they have a battle, and it turns into like a a Monty Python movie because they're chopping off arms. And blood is spurting out, and it's just crazy, ridiculous stuff. Interesting, interesting, interesting stuff. And so, if I'm not mistaken, what Aaron said was that they get cases of paps sent out to them on the road, and, <laughs> you know, they are kind of brought to you in part by. <laughs> so, why don't we uh, play a little bit of uh, Red Fang, and then we'll get into the audio of the interview you did. For those who, who like video, if you go to ironcityrocks.com, you can watch the video of this interview special cameo uh, by uh, David of Disturbed in that video as well. Ladies and gentlemen, um, today on the Iron City Rocks podcast, we have Aaron of Red Fang. How are you doing today, Aaron? I'm great. How are you? Great, great. Thanks for taking time to meet us. Now, you're the bass player of Red Fang, correct? Yep. All right. Um, what can you tell us about the band? Uh, well, we've been together about five and a half, six years. We're out of Portland, Oregon, um, and we're all, we've all been friends for years and uh, just somehow had never played in bands, had never played together in a band, and then it just finally started happening about five, six years ago, and uh, we're into all kinds of, like, heavy music, but not necessarily, people like to call us metal, but I wouldn't really say that we're necessarily a heavy metal band. I would say more like heavy rock. I see, I would go with heavy rock, but I also say heavy yeah. groove. Sure. Like, you guys I'll got a hell that. of a groove, man. Well, thanks. I was listening to your stuff, um, well, yesterday, blame, getting ready for uh, this. I blame our drummer for that. <laughs> so, now, um, oh, heck, where was I, I going to go with this? All right, so your sound. For those uh, members of our audience who are not familiar with you guys, how would you describe your sound a little more? Uh, it's, I mean, the easiest way for people to understand it is probably to just to reference other bands okay. that we sort of sound like. I mean, we have, uh, we're influenced by Soundgarden, there's 
band called Cherubs, who are a pretty big influence, yeah. Black Flag, uh, Melvins, um, <coughs> Tad, actually a lot of like the Northwest kind of grunge music from the, the uh, late 80s and early 90s, gotcha. big influence on us. Um, but then also a lot of, we also love all kinds of heavy music, we love fast, like speed metal, things like that too, yeah. but, uh, they don't necessarily, what's up? Uh, they don't necessarily influence our sound yeah. as much as some of those other things do. Now, Black I got, Sabbath. I got a uh, Black Sabbath meets Clutch kind of vibe. Lots of yeah. stuff. I think that's pretty fair. Um, we did a tour with Clutch a couple years ago. They're great guys. And uh, I have to be honest, I wasn't like as familiar with them as I am with uh, some other bands. You yeah. know, I think maybe East Coast, West Coast. But um, yeah, after touring with them. I can totally see the connection, even though they weren't, I guess what I'm saying is they weren't necessarily a direct influence, but I think that we probably shared enough influences that we have. Yeah, kind uh, of came together. Yeah, it's like kind yeah. of blues, you know, like blues, heavy blues. Oh, yeah. So, I was watching your videos, and there's one theme I got in the, t- in the two that I watched, and I apologize, yep. I can't remember the names off the top of my head, I should have jotted it down. That's right. Um, I'm getting a beer theme. Yeah. A big beer theme. A little bit of a beer theme. Let, let's, let's talk yep. about that. Sure. Uh, well, the Pacific Northwest is actually known for having a ton of good, ton of great beers. Okay. Um, uh, the director, our, is the same director for both videos, is a friend of ours named Whitey, uh, Whitey McConaughey. Okay. Um, and part of it is just like the characters that we play, they're based on the actual people that we are, of course, but uh, they're sort of like, you know, exaggerated versions of us. Um, and, you know, that's basically the beers that we drink when we're, okay. we're just hanging around. Uh, and Pabst, the story with Pabst actually is, it goes way back to uh, the, I guess it was the mid-90s, mid to late 90s, there was a rumor around Portland that Pabst was about to go out of business, uh, which turned out to be true. And there's this sort of like grassroots effort of, uh, basically my my social group was just not accepting the fact that Pabst was going to disappear. And yeah. so, a friend of mine worked at a bar and he invented, he actually was the creator of the Dollar Pabst, uh, you know, like Dollar Pabst Happy Hour or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and then some other friends of mine would have parties and Pabst would like just sponsor their parties, backyard parties. And That's awesome. it doesn't seem like it that the only reason why I know that this is in fact what saved Pabst from bankruptcy is because there was an article about it in the New York Times Magazine like four or five years after the fact and they specifically yeah. referenced those two. Like, friends of mine yeah. that were responsible for that kind of stuff so so we have a history with them and Portland has a strong history with uh, with with uh, PBR so That's it's like awesome. it's sort of like the drink of choice so they they provided us free beers for the second video and that's why there's there's beer all over the place in it that rocks yeah absolutely rocks because the, the one I know it's a very long answer no that was awesome um, one of the videos I was watching and I actually had a couple of them, but the, the one you guys are playing like in the kitchen, and yeah. there's cans and there's no cans. Yeah. Um, so the bass in that video, uh-huh. what bass is that? Because I know the bass like, that I'm playing. Yeah. It's uh, it's the same bass that I've always had. Uh, it's a GNL SB1. Okay. Um, I'm not sure what the year is. I know that there was a lawsuit at some point where when uh, Neo Fender split from Fender and started yeah. making GNL uh, instruments. The headstock looked a lot like the Fender headstock, and so after a couple years of producing those, they got sued, and then yeah, there's like a little point on the headstocks yes. now, and so mine's somewhere in that range of, I think it's like 85, 86, okay. like that, so. Well, and I'm glad you mentioned the Fender thing, because I've been playing Fender for years, and I'm looking, uh-huh. I'm like, man, it looks like a Fender, right? you know, and I also noticed you tend to favor, favor a maple fingerboard. Yeah. So, um, is there any reason for that, just like the punchiness? Uh, to be perfectly honest, it's just an accident. That's just the base that I happen to own, you know? And it, uh, yeah. it was, it's not completely an accident. I bought it because, um, I'm a guitar player originally. Okay. Um, and a friend of mine that played bass in my band had a GNL SB2, which yeah. I thought was, I loved the way it sounded. It's kind of a weird looking bass, but I like the way it looks, uh, and so I was trying to actually wanted to buy one of those and I just couldn't find one so I got the SB1 and at first I thought it, I hated it and I thought it was a piece of crap it sounded terrible it was really hard to play yeah. but then I got it set up and uh, and have also tried other bases through my my um, my head and and, uh, and speakers and that one just sounds by far the best of all the bases it's got a good sound yeah really so like I'm it. never going to change bases but you can ask anybody in the band I was like 
I am never playing a live show with this bass. This bass sucks. But now after a few years, I actually love that bass, and I probably won't ever play anything else. That's awesome. Yeah. So what other kind of gear are you using? Very simple. We, um, All three of us, we use... Uh, Sun Beta heads, okay. uh, Beta leads, and they're just the guitar players, and I play a Beta bass. And for me, it's just my bass into a tuning pedal and then into the head. That's all there is. And nice. I play through a, a it's a Trainer 412 okay. uh, speaker cabinet that actually belongs to Brian, uh, that's one of the guitar players. And he just puts some sort of like heavier speakers into it so it can, it can handle more low end. And those guys both play out of. Uh, weird like small Marshall 412s that were um, made for some sort of a valve like a solid state Marshall head yeah. and they're extra small and they're closed back but they're they're really uh, they have a lot of good they have good low end so yeah. they work pretty good for them we're not using those speakers on this borrowing speakers alright well I guess one last question we'll close it out here um, how's the Mayhem tour going for you guys it's great today was actually the best show for us so far as far as like there's tons of people there I think people maybe there's people who can come out to our last couple shows in Pittsburgh or something who came out so uh, it's been a blast it's it's a lot uh, a lot more work than I thought it was going to be there's a lot like the days are a lot longer uh, we're bit busy from you know like 8 or 9 in the morning till uh, probably 8 at night so Ooh, it's a long yeah. day yeah it's a pretty long day but um, it's been great and we're we're sharing a bus right now with um, a band called Unearth. Okay. Oh, are, I love those guys. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, who are actually, I think, just finishing up their set right now. Um, and we had no idea. We'd never met them before. Yeah. But they're awesome guys and awesome cool. bands. So it's been going really good. Who's yeah. been, like, your, I don't want to say your favorite band, but who's been, like, the biggest surprise that you've gotten to see live on this tour? Uh, I had not really, pretty much, I pretty much hadn't seen any of these bands live okay. before. Um, I had, we did a tour with uh, Crowbar before, so I'd seen Kurt play. Um, I've been I've enjoyed Kingdom of Sorrow a lot, and Unearth is their their shows are great. Yeah, the crowd goes crazy for them. So, yeah. awesome. Well, hey, Aaron, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. My pleasure. Really Thank appreciate you. it. Great. All right, so welcome back. That was Red Fang. So the last interview we did of the day um, was one I wasn't quite prepared for. I got to talk to Ben from All Shall Parish. Um, it was a little bit of a last minute thing, so I was kind of doing it on the fly. And I got to say, Ben was just a great guy. Um, and his band, All, All Shall Perish, I got to check them out actually post-interview. They've got some great tracks. And what really intrigued me is, you know, he plays an eight-string guitar. So he's this crazy technical player, really into what he's doing. But, um, and John, if you remember this from the interview, their, their entire guitar rigs are nothing but digital. Like, no amps, all digital yeah. processing. Yeah, I remember him saying that. And I, I, I will take the uh, blame for the interview. There was a bit of a snafu in the schedule. And uh, All Shell Paris kind of snuck on, and literally right before the interview, uh, the woman introduced him. This is Ben from All Shell Parish, and I remember you looking at me like, who? <laughs> yeah, so we were, you know, and, and much credit to you, but I knew you were in good hands. As soon as he said he played an eight-string guitar, your eyes lit up like Christmas tree, and, and it was all downhill from there. You had no problem uh, talking tech with him at that point. So why don't we uh, get into that interview with All Shell Parish? All right, ladies and gentlemen, we have on the show today Ben from All Shall Parish. So, Ben, how are you doing today? Doing wonderful, man. Excellent. Thanks for taking time out of your touring schedule here to talk to us. Um, how's the Mayhem Festival going for you guys? Oh, it's a blast. Yeah? The shows are the biggest shows we've played in the U.S. Uh, in our 10-year career, and uh, the crowd's just loving it. So, we're loving it. Excellent, excellent. Now... Um, for those in the audience who are not familiar with you guys, what can you tell us about your band? Uh, we, we just dropped our fourth record on Nuclear Blast Records. Uh, it's over an hour of music. It's, uh, it's probably our finest material, so if you haven't heard us, pick up the new disc. It's called This Is Where It Ends. It came out on the 26th. Okay, excellent, excellent. Now, you play guitar. I do. How long have you been playing guitar? 15 years. Wow, okay, so at what age did you pick it up then? Uh, I was about 16. Okay, that's, that's a little later than some people. Yeah, you know, I yeah. actually had my mom's boyfriend was a musician. He played yeah. uh, for Tower of Power for a little while. No kidding. He was a bass player, so he... Uh, Are we talking Rocco? No, he was okay. a temp. He, I'm like, know, holy cow. He was right. a Bay Area musician, but that was yeah. you know, one of the things that uh, meant a lot to him. Yeah, you're amazing, man. Yeah. Oh, my goodness, okay. So he got me my first guitar, Yeah. and I didn't really think much of it. I just kind of messed with it. But, uh, I 
started practicing and trying to play songs that I liked yeah. from uh, like Green Day and uh, Sepultura. Okay. Eventually, I just fell in love with the instrument. That's awesome. Now, um, I guess who were some of your other influences? Because if you you got a guy from Tower of Power, you, you have like that funk influence coming into your playing too. Yeah, I, I didn't really let his influences uh, affect me too much. I, yeah. I got really into like the death metal thing in the '90s. Okay. Cannibal Corpse, Obituary, Sepultura, Pantera. Those were like my big metal influences in the '90s. Roots, still one of my favorite records. Except for those roots. Roots was cool. I wasn't so much into that. I was more into Chaos AD. Okay, yeah. that's a good record too. Some yeah, good, good riffs. Um, so what guitars are you playing nowadays? Uh, strictly Ibanez. Okay. Yeah, I've been playing Ibanez now for almost two years. Uh, playing eight string. Um, okay. One half of our material is an eight string. And the other half is a seven string, which is a RGD evidence. Okay, now when it's an eight string, we're talking a low B and then a high C? We're talking a drop F sharp. Holy crap, okay. It makes you shit when you play that with So you go all low, you're not going with the higher strings then? Uh, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, versatility to the, to the okay. instrument. Yeah, there's a lot of highs and a lot of lows. That's so, awesome. Yeah. So what drew you towards an 8-string? Was it just to have the guttural, or is it for, like, position playing? Uh, just, just more range and tonal ability, you know? Okay. It's just something to explore as a musician. Yeah. Now, with, 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 with that... Well, heck, just with that low of a guttural sound, like, what are you using for sound reinforcement? What kind of amps are you playing? Uh, we play digitally, uh, in fractal audio, uh, XFX. Yeah. So we're able to get a real clean tone because it's all digital. That's awesome. Okay. Wow. I, ah, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, we well, let's we see literally here. go direct into the PA. There's no uh, cabs on stage. Wow. We play with just monitors. So how did that come about? That was a new idea. Basically, uh, get sick of lugging around all these guitar amps everywhere. Yeah. And you can't even see them because we have our tapestries up. So it doesn't really affect the live show at all. We play just as well with just the monitors. So you know, it's just a space saver and just makes tear down and load out much easier. All right, I just need a minute to process this. Sure. Because I've been thinking about about things like that for years. I was wondering if I would ever see it. All right, so it's a complete digital system now. Is it like an outboard digital system? Uh, basically, uh, we run this unit called the Fractal Audio uh, Axe Effects. Okay. And we plug that straight to the PA. Straight to the board. So kind of like a rack unit then? It right? is a rack unit. Okay, yeah. okay. So, and then uh, my other guitarist and I then can mix perfectly in the monitors. There's no feedback. Yeah. no bullshit, you know? Now, how did you guys get turned on to this stuff? Uh, we toured with a few bands. We toured with... More cowbell! <laughs> we toured with a band called The Faceless. We toured with a band uh, called Animals as Leaders. You yeah. Heard of them. They're all on Axe FX. Really? So it was like seeing them use it. It's like, holy crap, that's so easy. And that's got to make your sound way easier to dial in every night based on the venue, oh, yeah, it's right? it's just a preset. And, it's, and if I need a little something, might we have our front of house guy who just takes care of it. Yeah. He knows how it works. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Now, um, so you start with guitar when you're 16, and you play these eight strings. How did that progression go? Like, like how did, what's your, I guess kind of like, let's start with like, what's your music, music education bro, background, and how that kind of pu push you in I've these never directions? had formal lessons. Okay. It's all, I play it completely by ear. I know a little bit about scales and modes, but I write just from the heart. Okay. I always have been like that. And what it's cool is because our other guitarist, he graduated from Berkeley School of Music. Yeah. So if I get stuck, because usually when you play by ear, you get stuck. You know, it's hard oh, yeah. to get past a, a spot or whatever. He graduated from Berkeley. You know, it's the perfect balance. I can show him where I'm at, and then he can teach me a little bit, and then I move on. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, that's excellent. Well, hey, Ben, I want to thank you for your time today. Sure. Thanks for being on our show. And um, enjoy the rest of this tour, man. It's been killer. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. All right, folks, we're back. Um, as the evening progressed, we, we unfortunately did miss Machine Head uh, just due to interview and things like that. So it got a little hectic there for a little bit. We missed Machine Head. Um, so I'd love feedback if you want to put anything on Facebook about what you thought of their set. Uh, but you and I... Uh, then got to uh, get up and close and personal with Trivium as they did their set. Uh, we, again, did some photo work there. You can check the photos out on ironcityrocks.com. Uh, there's a huge Mayhem Festival logo on our site. Um, 
Trivium, to me, uh, has always been a band that I've become very close to becoming a big fan of. But uh, unfortunately, some of that guttural, they do kind of that mix of, you know, very melodic singing with guttural type sounds, a la Shadows Fall and, and dozens of other bands that do that kind of thing. Um, but great guitar playing wise, um, even the singer singing, I love. I just could do a little less with the guttural stuff, but uh, they have a new album out. It's getting a lot of rave review. And for those not aware, they are coming back with Dream Theater to play the Trip Total Media Amphitheater. I believe the date is October 4th. Tickets are on sale. Plug, plug, plug. And uh, Aaron, your thoughts on Trivium? Oh, I tell you, I was really excited to see them play. <clears throat> um, I'm a big fan of Matt Heafy. Um, just because back, you know, back in 2006 when um, Dimebag was killed, he stepped up in a big way to help support and do like fundraisers and stuff for for Dime and everything that was going on for for the other people that were slain that day as, as well. And so it was fun to get to see him play live and just to see wh- where his band has grown to and, and where they where they've come. And I mm-hmm. believe the latest album is in Waves, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I know there's one that was released literally just this week. Um, so I apologize, I don't know the name of it. Uh, I've thought, man, it has kind of a very darkish gray, kind of charcoal-colored cover. Gotcha. Um, so I, I do not know off the top of my head. Um, I know it was on sale at Best Buy this week. <laughs> it's available through Roadrunner Records. Um, so I'm sure you can find that. Trivium fans have probably already got it. I believe the only album I personally own from Trivium was uh, Crusade. Or crusades, um, but again, I, I think a good band. It's not quite my cup of tea, but a, a, a you know a band that was certainly worth seeing live. And then, as I would call it, the main event uh, for me of the whole festival was Megadeth. Your thoughts as we entered the pit to see Megadeth? Well, this was 25 years in the making for me, John. Mm-hmm. I remember Peace Cells coming out in '86. I've always wanted to see them. Never gotten to see them live. And now the first time I get to see them, I'm like literally five to ten feet from them. Yeah. That's... You know, that that was amazing right there. And, you know, like I was telling you at the show, um, and I, I, I want to make sure everybody is, is aware of this, because I had this real bad misconception about Dave. I mean, you know, obviously he can hold his own as a guitar player, but I always thought he was hiring these great league guitar players like, you know, Chris Broderick and then Matt Marty Friedman to to kind of carry him and you know drive the band along right and after seeing dave play that close and up front and everything that was really going on mm-hmm. well those guys have to be able to keep up with him because geez is he insane he's an amazing guitar player yeah i agree with you i, I know there's there's much praise in the industry for james hetfield um, and i think a lot of people kind of equate negative to fall in that same same formula where you have phenomenal rhythm player and then kind of the smoking gun and honestly, Megadeth is anything but. I think you really have two lead guitarists there. I mean, there are many songs that live, Chris Broderick is playing just the riff during the solo, and Dave is just going off. And I don't know what the exact mix of the solos were, but Dave isn't taking a song off. You know, no. and, and you know, you listen to the guitar riffs of a Megadeth song, he's not just banging away simple power chords underneath his voice when he's singing. So he's got, you know, some relatively technical riffs going on while he's singing all these lyrics. So um, I can't say enough. I am with you. I had uh, remember nagging my parents back on the So Far So Good tour to go see them at the South Hills Theater uh, and being told new, uh, quite quite rightfully so, I imagine, at that age. But... uh, I was with you. I, I One of those bands where you just kind of always wanted to see them, and then they went on that bit of hiatus when Dave had the injury to his hand, and it just never seemed to come around. You know, it was just one thing or another. I kicked myself for not buying the Rust in Peace uh, 20th anniversary tour tickets like the day they went on sale because that show sold out amazingly quick at the Palace Theater in Greensburg. Um and then I just remember praying, like when they were doing the, the co-headlining tour with Slayer, oh, please let them come here, and they didn't. Yeah. Um, so it was just, they never seemed to come back around now that I was like really hungry to see them. And then Endgame, I just flat out loved. So, yeah, great disc. Uh, it, to me, this was like the, the perfect storm. You know, we're watching this band, they're phenomenal. Um, seem to have a lot of fun on stage. Um, you know, big, big uh, salute to Dave Ellison for... Uh, 
coming back and filling that lineup out the way it should be. Um, and, and, you know, on the Dave Ellison thing, I think that's really kind of what made it for me. Because um, Dave, like, Megadeth to me has the same rep as Ozzy. Like, if mm-hmm. you play for Ozzy, everybody knows you're the best of the best. Right. And and same with Megadeth. Like, if, if you back up Megadeth, then you're obviously the best of the best. But Megadeth to me has always been Dave and Dave. Yeah. You know, so having both Daves there, and, I mean, seeing Ellison playing the Jacksons and just, oh, my goodness, that was that was an amazing night. You know, yeah. just just see that show. Yeah, the only only negative to the whole thing one was how is Megadeth not the headliner on that bill, um, and two, you know, unfortunately in any of these festival settings the set is relatively short, um, so you know you got about forty five fifty minutes if I remember correctly uh, of Megadeth, uh, and then you know unfortunately it was it was over over as quick as it started almost, but it was still it was still phenomenal, you know. I know I, I came home wanting to listen to Peace Cells immediately. So, big congratulations to Megadeth for killing it at the Mayhem Festival. Um, got to hear a little bit of Godsmack. Um, uh, they let off with Crying Like a Bitch, which is probably my favorite Godsmack song, and it sounded great. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Did not have the opportunity to see Disturbed. Uh, it had been a very, very long day at that point. Uh, both of you and I had to work real jobs. And then get to the show, so it was getting pretty late, and we were both pretty fried uh, from running around all day, taking pictures here, interviewing there. So we did, uh, both of us uh, gave, passed on the chance to see Disturbed. Maybe mistakenly, uh, as we found out recently, this was probably going to be Disturbed's last tour. Um, so, you know, in hindsight, it might have been worth sticking around for, but uh, it's still an all in all a great day. Yeah, it was amazing. It was a really, really excellent experience. All right. Well, we will uh, end her there for now. We want to thank you for coming uh, on the show today, Aaron, obviously, uh, and all your hard work over the last few years on the show. And uh, for those not familiar, you can go to ironcityrocks.com. Find us on Facebook, YouTube, no longer on MySpace. Uh, We are on Twitter. Uh, We ask you to friend us, like us, retweet uh, at will. Uh, keep an eye on ironcityrocks.com for contests. Uh, we are producing content now other than just the podcast. There's some written interviews. Uh, we try to post more and more concert photos and things like that on the website, which has been completely redone. Invite you to check that out. Until next time, we'll talk to you later. <laughs>